Hello, RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Role Playing as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to all things tabletop. My name is Santa, and thanks for tuning in again. Scott and Finder are currently playing hooky, but do not fret. I have not one, not two, but three fantastic RPG designers here to talk about their upcoming Kickstarter. Let me introduce you guys to Brian Saliba, Zach Tyler, and TG Crackle. Hello, everyone. Hey, Santa. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's thanks, a pleasure. Santa. Nice to, nice you. to meet you. Well, very nice to meet you guys, too. It's always a pleasure to have creators on. I find uh, it, it's the one one thing that always amazed me about tabletop is just the amount of creative things that people can do. And you just find stories that you'll never find in a book or anything like that really come to life on the tabletop. And I'm really excited to talk to you about your uh, upcoming Kickstarter. But before we start, uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, tell us a little bit about your tabletop background. Uh, even, Hey, what was your first RPG even? Brian, would you like to get the ball rolling? Yeah. Uh, my name is Brian Saliba. I'm a founder of Crowbar Creative, uh, which is a tabletop game design, um, company. And I, let's see, my, my role-playing game experience goes back to sometime in the mid eighties, uh, when my oldest brother introduced me to it. Um, and, uh, it must've been yeah, that, that would have been uh, the original Red Box that, that he was playing with his friends um, and then uh, graduated to at, uh, AD&D um, and then uh, 3, 3.5, uh, played a lot of 4 um, and, uh, and now 5 and lately have been playing a lot of uh, more OSR stuff and running and writing more OSR stuff until this project came around, which is, uh, as you know, a, a 5e uh, setting and supplement. So wow. that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell. Fourth edition. Not many people admit they played a lot of that. <laughs> I did. There were, there were a lot of things. That, it's, it's funny to see the conversation around fourth edition kind of coming full circle and more people are acknowledging what it did well. And uh, I, I think it did do a lot of things well. It's a, it's a really cool um, tactical combat RPG. Uh, it just, it didn't do a lot of the things well that uh, people expect Dungeons and Dragons to do. But for what it was designed to do, I think it's uh, it's a really smart system. Yeah, well, it, it was originally created to try and almost bring in like the World of Warcraft, you know, like the, the online massive multiplayer yeah. games, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was everybody had powers, and um, it was a little hard around the table because I just found all my players were always drowning in paperwork, uh, trying to figure out which of their powers to use. But um, uh, I, I've just seen more conversations online, um, people st- suddenly saying, "Actually, it's it's not that bad if you know what you're getting into, and if you're not expecting, you know, deep role playing uh, aspects." to the game. But these days everybody wants deep role playing aspects because critical role and stranger things and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> that's definitely true. I, I almost kind of, uh, I've always been more of a fan of like almost like the episodic RPG styles where it's like each one is its own self-contained and that's a little bit harder to come by right now. But, uh, yeah. What about you, Zach? What's, uh, what's your history on RPGs? Yeah, well, um, my name is Zach Tyler. I'm a writer based in Washington, D.C. Um, I started, gosh, I started playing role-playing games. I feel like I learned how to read playing role-playing games <laughs> when I was just very young. And then 
my brother, who's older, my older brother, um, looped me into Star Wars RPG. Um, I, I'm struggling to remember which version it was, but it was fantastic. And then my first game design experience started when I wrote up a setting for my friends in grade school for uh, the Redwall universe, because I loved those books so much. Um, and I've been, yeah, I've been playing RPGs since. Um, and yeah, like Brian, I'm more recently into the OSR games. And, but I, I you know, play a lot of 5e and it's, it's nice to actually be back in the, the 5e rule set for this, uh, Dr. G book that we're working on. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I find that I, I find it kind of cool because oh, like I I've played a few OSR games. In fact, uh, Scott, who can't be here, he's written a couple himself, and it's it's such a neat kind of like break from. I would. It sounds weird because I know it is very traditional tabletop, but it's almost kind of a neat break from the current tradition of tabletop, where it seems like everything's pretty, you know, deadly for one thing, but the rules themselves are very slim down and straight to the point but still well enough so you can create whatever you want yeah no i <laughs> i like that you mentioned the deadly component to it i'm i ha- i kind of have a reputation at the at the at the table for um I, I i love it i love a good character death what can i say and even <laughs> if it's my own you know if they uh if, I, if my own character dies I feel like they live on in, in the legends a bit more. Um, but yeah, no, I love that. I love those aspects that you cited about OSR. Um, and I only start, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's only been a few years since I've really gotten into it. And um, yeah, the, the it's so lean. It's so adaptable. You know, you're not flipping through the pages like um, Brian, you know, uh, has, you know, was talking about with, with the fourth edition. Um so yeah, no, it's it's definitely something I love, but I also I I have a lot of love for five e two and, um, and you know we're we're going back to that a bit here in terms of you know well I guess both Brian and I have played a lot of OSR lately and uh, it's yeah I, I feel like sometimes the influences are bleeding through at times. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 actually interesting, Sandy, you bring up the the lethality and kind of randomness of OSR games versus fifth edition and uh interestingly a lot of what we're doing with dr g what we're trying to do with this setting is to bring some of that into the 5e uh space um we're not unique in that regard Uh, i think a lot of games or settings uh and um, ancillary rule sets have have introduced uh more chaotic elements um but i don't know it could be something that we circle back to later uh, about uh how our love for OSR, not even current old school Renaissance games, but actually the actual old school games that we used to play, how um, some of those elements uh, that you mentioned really lend themselves to Dr. Grodbort, the source material written by Greg Broadmoor. And and we've tried to kind of bring that stuff into this 5e setting. So uh, anyway, something we can circle back to at some point, maybe. Oh, we definitely are, because... Uh... I, I, I'm like you, Zach. I love a good character death. <laughs> um, I've always said that you you don't remember all the things that went great. You remember the things that went horrible. And when a character dies, it's usually something that you'll talk about for months. 
<laughs> oh yeah, no, we are kindred spirits. That is for sure. <laughs> I'll have to get you into one of Scott's games. Um, I, 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 before like this year alone, I think I've already had like seven characters die. <laughs> <laughs> And it's all been my own fault. I can't blame anything else but myself on that. But I'm glad that I died. They're all great. So, um, and now on to Grackle. Uh, tell us a little bit about your history in RPGs. Sure. First off, uh, congrats on the character deaths. That's very exciting. Um, <laughs> a little tough acts to follow with uh, Zach and especially Brian. I got into role-playing games in high school, played some 3.5 and then drifted away a bit until I came back in hard with 5th edition, um, and then have been lucky enough to be playing consistently since that dropped, and uh, DMing actually for years now as well. Also pretty consistently, which is, you know, when schedules allow. Um, yeah. And then also enjoy some other RPGs, DMing again, or GMing, I should say. Um, I like the one-pagers too, like Lasers and Feelings, um, stuff that really lets you kind of like slim it down and focus mm -hmm. on the interactions in the role-playing. Yeah, no, I, I'm... It's funny because, like, I'm so far I've not heard anything that I disagree with. I, I we'll, love. We'll work of, on that. <laughs> I, I'm actually also huge into the, into like the slim down ones. Also, I do like myself a little crunch, but I find uh, crunch gets a little, um, well, crunchy, I guess. Um, but I'm also kind of a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to tabletop as well. I didn't start until my, I think I was like 20 at the time. And just because I I knew no one ever around me who ever did it. And then one one friend suggested it. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. And he's like, well, come for one session. If you like it, you know, maybe come for another. And, well, it's been 13 or so years already. And I'm still talking about it to this day. So Next yeah. thing you know, you get a podcast. <laughs> oh, God. I <laughs> uh, hope not, man. That would suck. Heard and that that's a lot the thing. I think like before fifth edition, that's kind of how it was. It was kind of like you kind of had to know a guy and that were, that was going to get you into role playing games. And now mm -hmm. it's just so much more ubiquitous that people can really feel a lot more comfortable just, you know, picking something up, watching a pot or listening to a podcast, watching a live stream or something and feel comfortable just playing a game, which is great. Oh, or even oh. admitting that you play the game. Also, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm, st I'm still not used to that one. You know, it's like way more socially acceptable now than I think it was about 15 years ago. Oh, 100%. <laughs> don't be a closet nerd anymore? What? Yeah. I, I, I'm now letting my uh, nerd flag fly high and proud <laughs> nowadays. But yeah, I actually, I started with Kerps, which I think a lot oh, of wow. people would be surprised with. Hmm. Yeah fun system but um oh my god do you have to tailor that to a system yeah it can <laughs> it can get crunchy it's super lean but doesn't I, i've never played it i've read it and uh it seems like it um, um it starts lean but but can uh can balloon on you pretty quick in terms of crunch well i remember in order to create my character because there are so many options and i forget what the point value is that you have to have someone online has created an app so with all the things in it, so you're able to go through with the point values and knock off everything. And even with all that, it took just to come up with my character sheet, like I think 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. But That's I a think, steep on-ramp. Oh, it, it. I think if you just use the core, it's not that bad, but I, they have like 10 million supplements still coming out to this day. Right. Um. But 
I think we should get on to, I think, the core of the episode, which is uh, something I'm really excited about because I love satirical games. I don't think they're made a lot enough. And when I was reading your description of it, of Dr. Gord Bort's scientific adventure violence, I was like, oh, thank God, satire. I love satire in games. So happy about that. Uh, and then my second thought was, how did you guys come up with that name? <laughs> well, it all starts with Greg Broadmoor, who's a, a lead designer at Weta Workshop in New Zealand that uh, does all the did all the Lord of the Rings and District Nine and you know very prominent special effects house for movies, and they do a lot of other stuff too. But uh, one of their designers, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, started making ray guns. Uh, I, I mean, it, I hesitate to use the word steampunk because the Grodbort universe is really set kind of uh, turn of the century. It's, it's, it's not really Victorian and, and clockwork and all that. It's really more electricity. Like um, industrial age kind of. Yeah. Just okay. It's 1920s. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of just prior to world war one, which actually doesn't happen in the Grodbort canon oh. um, for various reasons. But anyway, Greg started making ray guns and uh, kind of like, you know, the story about how Tolkien first invented the languages and then invented a world uh, where they could live. And, you know, thus Lord of the Rings and all that was born. Same, same thing kind of happened with Greg. Um, he had these ray guns and then he started writing kind of catalog entries like old Sears and robot catalog entries for these weapons. And from that it evolved into his, the voice for those catalogs was very well satirical um, and pointed and it was poking fun at uh, consumer culture and, you know, these highly deadly unpredictable weapons that you could blow up in your face. Perfect for kids, that kind of stuff. Um, so that evolved into then comics. Uh, he, he wrote and illustrated a number of graphic novels in the Grodbort universe. Most of them feature, I think all of them actually featuring a, a character whose name is Lord Coxwain, um, who is who is this kind of archetypal uh, um, gentleman explorer, big game hunter from Pulp Fiction in the 1920s, and it's his adventures uh, in in the solar system and making a mess of things terribly um, hmm. because all of this stuff that Greg created, um, Greg himself is very switched on, intelligent guy, and and he has a lot of opinions about things like British colonialism and uh, patriarchal society and societies and sexism and all of the stuff that was, uh, that was kind of part and parcel to the British empire back then. So the work that he created, all these, these catalogs and these uh, uh, descriptions of ray guns and the uh, graphic novels themselves all bore that uh, same satirical, pointed humor and mm. I, I came across it's great stuff if you haven't seen it um there's actually a book called onslaught that is uh was published by titan and it's uh it's a kind of omnibus it has all the comics and uh or i think most of the comics and uh, all the catalog entries and the bestiary and i mean there's he created monsters and there's a whole world lore already uh, created by Greg and illustrated by him. And he's 
he's incredible. I mean, he's just unbelievable artist and uh, creative mind. So I came across those books in like 2014. Um, and then they ended up going into storage and I went overseas for a couple of years, which is where I met uh, Zach and Grackle actually. And then when I got back, came I rediscovered those books when they came out of storage. And I thought, I just fell in love with them again and thought, this is, I love this stuff. And furthermore, it just sets up so nicely for a role-playing game adaptation because you have already created these kind of catalog entries of uh, different alien races and monsters and, uh, and tons of weapons and tanks and jets and all that. So it just felt like, gosh, all you really have to do is stat these different things up and you kind of have a, a setting. But then as I got, as I dove deeper into the uh, material, I realized that this, it, it, I, the satirical nature uh, became really, really apparent. And I realized that in order to do this right, you would have to carry that through into the role-playing game. Um, and that's, so I guess all this is to say that it wasn't me or, or the three of us sitting around and saying, let's create a satirical role-playing game uh, about the 1920s uh, space exploration based on old Buck, Buck Rogers uh, serials. It was really, it all started with Greg's creation and, and then us going to Weta and to Greg and, and obviously getting the license and their approval to do this and, uh, and then creating a role-playing game that ports all of the cool stuff that he created, but also, um, doesn't shy away from the from the from the satire that really leans into it in fact because you can't you can't do Gordport without that stuff if that makes sense no that does that's that's really cool because it's funny how like you mentioned that last part because i was even thinking the way i was like i wonder what came first if it was actually the setting or if it was the satire but no that's that's really neat um do you guys like the one thing i always worry about satirical work where is how the audience is going to perceive it. Cause I know sometimes people look at it and they aren't sure if it's satire or have, are you guys like figuring out a way kind of to do it? So it still stays true to the satirical nature, but maybe kind of mellows down some of the things that might offend, or are you just saying, no, this is the way it is. I love it for how it is and I'm keeping it. I ask us in a couple months when it's out. <laughs> I, um, it, it's a concern, uh, certainly. I mean, right, right now, in just the way our society is, uh, satire is 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 kind of a rare thing, um, mm-hmm. or I guess becoming more rare. I don't know if I'd say it's rare, but um, it's it's so easily confused with indulgence in yeah, bad is. behavior and. Uh, the, you know, there, there are a lot of ways to deal with tricky subjects in fiction or movies or role-playing games. Um, one of them is to just excise all of the difficult things out, just take them out. Just, and th- th- these things no longer exist in the, in this world that we're creating. And that's, there's nothing, that's a valid way of, of dealing with it. If yeah. people around the table, just look, we don't want to play a game in which something like slavery or colonialism or sexism exists, then, you know, certainly there's a lot of options out there for that. But I think that it's still, it's equally valid to take another approach, which is satire, 
to mm-hmm. to exaggerate something that I think most people would agree to exaggerate things that most people would agree are negative in our society, exaggerate them, exaggerate them to the point of absurdity and farce so that then they can be ridiculed. Um, and that's, that's what Dr. Grodbort, the source material that we're drawing from does. And that's what we, we tried to do in this game uh, or in this setting. It's not a rule system. It uses the fifth edition rule system. Um, but to try and, um, to lampoon these things uh, as opposed to excising them. And, and it won't be for everybody. We have a, a disclaimer in the very beginning <laughs> saying that, that if you're offended by satire or uh, this isn't for you, this is, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of other options out there for you. But um, we think that, or I, I think anyway, that um, it's it's still a very valid way of, of working through uh, dealing with tricky issues in the world. And somebody like, uh, uh, Paul Verhoeven in his movies, which, uh, you know, something like RoboCop or certainly Starship Troopers is a great analog for. I've been thinking of that one for Mm -hmm. quite a while too. Yep. It's, it's a great, uh, comparison for Dr. Gordwartz because there's so much that's cool in Starship Troopers with the weapons and the monsters. And I mean, there are things that you can indulge in, as a as somebody who's watching that movie and really enjoy earn, in earnest, mm-hmm. but there's also a whole lot being said about military industrial complex and human nature and all of these other things that are so exaggerated that um, they're clearly being held up for uh, for for ridicule and hopefully you know maybe making making people think a little bit differently about um, things that uh, are um, problematic in our society or in the way we approach war and death and all that. So um, that's, that's kind of where we are. Ours isn't far flung future um, and, uh, and using high tech uh, futuristic weaponry. I mean, ours is, is 1920s, although the weaponry is ray guns, um, but uh, it, it's, it's, I think a decent analog to that, but I don't know. It's a great question. I'm, I'm curious to hear what, uh, what Grackle and Zach would add to that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Starship Troopers because sometimes when I think about Dr. Gordbort's what we're doing here, I'm like, well, this is so extreme that no one could think this was serious. And then I look and see how many like big name reviewers completely missed Starship Troopers when it came out and thought it was just some like normal action schlock for teens. I was like, oh, okay, hang on, this is an actual concern. Like some people just don't pick up on this stuff. Mm. Um, but one of the things I think is interesting about Dr. Gordbort's and what we're doing here is that basically all of the themes that we're directly exploring are present in standard D&D. Like civilization versus barbarism and colonialism and like pillaging are things that are kind of taken for granted in a lot of normal 5e. You know, you've got your goblins and their temples and everyone just feels fine running in and stealing things from them because they're seen as lesser. So in a way, this setting is actually just taking these issues a little bit more seriously and taking them with a little bit more empathy and trying to step back from the perspective of someone running around pillaging and conquesting everything and actually taking a look at who's on the other side of this and what other roles can you play, you know, within this universe? You know, what's it like to be a Venusian or a Martian on the other side of this? And what kind of, you know, what kind of place can you make as an adventuring party through this galaxy um, when you're actually seeing the effects of colonialism around you and not just treating them as the way things are, like a lot of 5e does? No, that's, uh, that's 
absolutely I'm I'm so glad you guys have the response that you do because I like I've said before I love satire and I find sometimes people take things either too literally or liter- literally or too serious um m- one of my favorite examples of satire that I think went over so many people's head was uh have you ever seen the horror movie uh Slumber Party Massacre yes yeah and that movie, it is, by all accounts, it's dirty, it's kind of sexist, it's it's all those kind of things, and people look at them like, oh, that's a horrible movie, that's disgusting, and then once you actually look into it, you find out that the person who directed the whole entire movie, she herself is a feminist, and the reason why she did it is because she saw all these horror like slasher flicks come out and she saw how all the women would get killed everything like that and she thought why don't i take all those tropes throw them all into a movie just for uh just for the fun of it to make it a satire without people realizing it and to this day you'll have people who lambast that movie not realizing that one little fact that changes every part of the entire movie yeah i think that it's uh i don't know if it's a a modern or recent phenomenon but it, it does seem like um, there's a tendency for people to assume that if you have something in a game or a movie or a piece of fiction or whatever, that it is an homage to that thing, you know, that, that mm-hmm. you are therefore in support of it. And uh, with any satire, all the way back to Gulliver's, Gulliver's Travels and, you know, through Monty Python and South Park and all of that, um, they have lots of very uh, negative things in them. Um, but the purpose, they're not paying homage to those things and they're not supporting those things. It's, it's the exact opposite. And, uh, I hope that that's how people will receive this, that they'll see that the, I mean, the the primary issue that is being lampooned is British colonialism. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of them in there, but, uh, that's kind of the big one. And, uh, Hopefully people will see that the fact that colonialism is an issue in, in this setting doesn't mean that uh, that we support it, doesn't mean that we are hoping that others will play this setting and enjoy the all of the wonderful things about, you know, subjugating another people, you know. <laughs> um, in fact, it's it's so it's lampooned often and relentlessly throughout the setting and throughout Greg's source material. Um, mm-hmm. and Lord Coxwain, who is the epitome of all things uh, that were bad about the British empire is the, the hero of the comics, but he's so clearly not a hero. He makes a mess of everything. He blows everything up. He, you know, treats everybody poorly, especially those who are deemed to be beneath him uh, socially. And uh, it, it makes a, I think, a, a powerful and very entertaining and fun statement about uh, about that period and that way of thinking, and that's uh, that's what we hope happens. I mean, with a role playing game as opposed to a movie or or a book, um, you are kind of handing people a toolbox, and they can do with it what they will. Mm-hmm. I, I, certainly, a, a group could sit around a, a table with this setting and decide we're gonna. We're going to really indulge in some hardcore colonialist fantasies that we all secretly harbor. Um, that's kind of out of our control, but the the way that it's written and the way that we, at least the way we've tried to write it and design it, is um, is to make it clear that that's not the intended purpose of this thing. That uh, it's it's 
colonialists by and large are uh, are not to be admired <laughs> or emulated. <laughs> There, uh, the British Empire is is uh, a big, a giant evil for the most part, evil entity, um, doing all kinds of horrible things. And so we hope people will um, will see it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but who, who knows? Not take it as your personal beliefs, but as the satire satire work that it's supposed to be. Yeah. No, I understand you. I hope so. You had something you wanted to add. Oh. <laughs> clap that out crackle uh yeah sorry <laughs> you're good um yeah no i remember talking to greg about this one time also and he made the what i thought was a very good point of you know the subject is pretty flagrantly british imperialism and colonialism but also one of the things he mentioned i thought was interesting is the broader thing is about exploitation in general and this is kind of the face it's wearing in this setting and what he as a kiwi is you know more intimately aware of um but it's really showing just the negative effects of exploitation and to the kind of things it enables and the kind of people that suffer from it on, you know, all sorts of ends and just the the absolute negativity of it and what it does to people. And I think it's interesting in the way he frames this in the comics and other things, how it has the very sci-fi space gallivanting tone and adventures. But it feels like a lot of panels where something dramatically explodes behind the hero he just pulls the panel back a little bit so you can see, you know, the poor shopkeeper that just lost his shop and is flying through the air right. or, you know, whoever was, you know, in front of that tank when he drove it dramatically through town and is now squished behind or something like that. <laughs> so it's it's really just interesting how he's taking this as an example of, a, of an even broader issue than British colonialism and also how he's using this setting to kind of ironically, because the subject matter is, you know, about cruelty and callousness and not treating people like people. He's taking the time and the uh, perspective to just have a little bit more empathy for everyone who's involved in a story. And it gives it a very different look and tone than some of the old gallivanting, uh, you know, white savior comics you'll, you'll remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and he also, it's also important for Greg and he made this clear uh, with, he's had a lot of input uh, in, in the, this game to make sure that we weren't being patronizing either and saying, you know, uh, British empire, evil Venusian freedom fighters, good. Um, that there's people are people and that there are lots of gray areas in there. Um, it's, it's too easy to, uh, and I think too trite to just say that, uh, that all of the subjugated people are, you know, it's the noble savage, uh, uh, trap. You know, that suddenly uh, ennoble everyone who's being subjugated and paint everybody who's doing the subjugating as as uh, as evil, paint them with with broad strokes Mm -hmm. and uh, that there are, you know, for him, it's just people are people everywhere. And there are a lot of uh, there are British people in this setting that are surprise, not evil xenophiles. um, And there are. Uh, Martians and Venusians and Moonlings um, who aren't uh, entirely um, uh, to be admired too. So, um, you know, be, being fair with the uh, the criticism and not being, not, not pandering by saying, uh, you know, subjugated noble and subjugated or uh, entirely evil. And we tried to get into that from the very first uh, free quick start release that we put out that is still available for free online at uh, crowbar.com and also should be on the Kickstarter page. 
in that the VFF have multiple factions and they have very different ideas and arguably both very, you know, kind of valid or defensible ideas about how they want to resist the British. And so there's a real disagreement there. And there's a real feeling of, you know, this is a group of people. This is not a noble monolith of plucky, you know, Star Wars style rebels. These are, you know, these are people that are trying to navigate a complex situation and don't have a perfect or a certain way through it. Or a unified one. Exactly. Yeah. Now that that's actually really smart. I find a lot of times like people will try and um, make it so it's a direct and you can easily see, okay, these people are evil. These people are good, but it's never that simple. There's always going to be these like crazy ideas on all sides. And it's really just trying to find that nice little happy middle where everyone can kind of get along. But again, that's kind of impossible. Um, So one thing I was curious about is, um, so what made you guys decide to put this setting into a 5e setting? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's three or four reasons. Um, And uh, when we, when we first started talking about this with, with uh, Greg, we hadn't decided to do that. Um, We, we thought, uh, we tried on a number of different systems for size, and we uh, uh, thought about creating a unique system. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we we settled on five E for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them is, I think it was Zach that that identified uh, that for all of the monolithic presence of five E in the gaming space, yeah, uh, th- there wasn't a lot of stuff like this. Um, that it it was uh, it, it might fill a kind of niche within that. Whereas in the OSR space, there's a lot more, um, I don't know, I, I think you're more likely to find a satirical self-reference, self-referential um, setting or approach to gaming in that space. Whereas 5e, uh, at least from what I've seen, just seems to continue to take itself more seriously as time goes by. And, uh, you know, from from somebody who likes satire a lot, like you do, you know that whenever you see anything or anybody taking themselves too seriously, then that's the time to lampoon them. <laughs> you know, it's kind of Monty Python's entire ethos, and um, I, I, so I think that's one of the one of the the reasons that we thought Five E would be an interesting um, fit. That there was just there's a space for this, maybe a, a way of um, a way of presenting gaming to people who maybe have only played 5e, uh, uh, showing that there, there's a different way, there's a different uh, kind of approach. A more, you know, you can satirize things. Um, you don't have to be so serious. And the, the gaming uh, experience doesn't have to be about uh, cathartic emotional experiences at the table. Um, I mean, surely you can have those still in Dr. Yeah. Boards, but um, I, I think just... Uh, that was that was something that thought would be interesting, and another big one was the challenge of uh, converting magic to science. Because in Doctor Grodbort's universe, there is no magic. Full stop. This is the age of science, the age of reason. We'll have none of that silliness kind of thing. So, yeah. for us, then that was that was challenging, but but one that we were interested in. Uh, you know, how do we take how do we make sure that you can do all that stuff? that you're used to doing in 5e 
when it comes to magic, you know, fireballs and sending spells and teleportation and polymorph. How do you how do you make that work in a setting that has no magic? And uh, ma- how do you map it to science? You know, it's and it's more than just a reskin. Um, it's it's we created a system. Mostly Zach did this, where you you uh, each spell and school of magic and spell like character ability or class ability is is mapped to a, a particular piece of equipment, uh, high tech gadgetry, um, and uh, and so when you're you're not actually casting spells, what you're doing is is creating some kind of marvelous scientific effect um, that actually looks a hell of a lot like a fireball and does that same amount of damage, if that makes sense. Um, so that, that was another really interesting challenge that we thought uh, using 5e would afford us. Um, but I, I don't know, um, uh, Grackle and Zach, if you guys, I mean, we had obviously thousands of conversations about what system to use. So I'm sure you guys have input on how we landed at 5e. It's kind of neat how you said that because we were even talking like me and uh the guys were talking and we're like, I wonder why they didn't pick like fate PBTA or any of those systems. That, Cause they do have more of a, of a satirical kind of like audience. And we're wondering, but that is such a good point that that's super smart. Like, and the other part, uh, yeah, Zach, I was wondering how did you make technology film different from just a reskin of magic? Like I, yeah, well, well, first off, it was, it was a major team effort. Um, we had a lot of conversations on on this, and um, you know the the source material just worked out really well for it in, in the first place because we had a whole list of different technologies, you know, different um, items that could, you know, and they're listed in onslaught that could produce these marvelous effects and then it it felt like a very logical step to start mapping out how those how each one of those tech pieces of tech could actually cast spells um and so in that way it is reskinned but then we are adding um which is also true of the source material the uh the um chance of a malfunction for each one of these pieces of technology and so and you know, Lord Coxwain in the comics, he's always firing ray guns that are always blowing up in his face or, you know, robots are malfunctioning and, you know, killing entire towns. And um, and so we wanted to really uh, in- integrate that element of chaos into the system and it really fit in with the magic system and, and with ray guns and-, and-, and tech in general. But with the magic system, there's always that chance that when you cast a spell, it can go horribly wrong, too. And depending on the type, of, and depending on the piece of technology, the effects could range from you know you being petrified to maybe even something beneficial, right? Um, or getting but, a spray of hot tea in the face. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so we're hoping you know with when it comes, and, and that's what I said at the beginning of the, of the show. You know, there's some little OSR tendencies bleeding into this, and what we yeah. what we hope is. Um, that you know 5e is such an accessible game um it's so clean it's been through so many iterations and it's the most popular version of it ever and you know what we're hoping is that we can capitalize on a system that is so you know user friendly for people at at some degrees at least you could argue and then bringing in you know new elements to spice it up and and add a little bit of chaos and flair to it as well so 
Um, I hope we've achieved that, but I guess we'll, we'll find out once it, once it goes live. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I don't want to be disingenuous uh, when I say the reasons why we chose 5e. I mean, the, the user base is way bigger and that, that is a factor, but it's not the only factor. It's, um, it's not something that I think Greg or uh, Stardog slash Weta are particularly interested in. Um, you know, for them, it's not how much money can we make off of this. For them, it's uh, how do we make it as cool as possible and make sure that Dr. Gordboard fans love it and people will be interested in Dr. Gordboard and, and, you know, how can it be authentic to the source material? So, um, but, you know, that I don't want to pretend like... Uh, it, it would sound fake if I said, well, well, we never even thought that, you know, 5e commands a 98.7% market share and that never <laughs> factored into it. Um, that was a factor. It just wasn't the only one. And in terms of other systems you mentioned, I I have no doubt that there are other systems that, that might support the satire or even the, the technology better. But it also comes down to what did the three of us, the three authors, what system did we all know? And... Um, each of us has slightly different gaming experience, but one thing all of us share is that we've all played a lot of 5e. So yeah. uh, if, if it so happened that three of us were huge Fate players or, uh, or, or you know, huge DCC players, or which we have played a good bit of that, but um, if we all had a shared system that wasn't 5e that we felt most comfortable doing, then that would have been a major factor. But uh, as it stood, none of us, there was no other system that all three of us had uh, as much experience in as, as we do with 5e. Yeah, nope. all played and DM'd. Um, and also just uh, a slightly less crass benefit of 5e's ubiquity also is that just, there's so much knowledge about how to play it just out there. That's so that also helps you with just the pick up and play potential of this game. Like ideally, that helps someone get from opening up the book to actually firing ray guns a lot faster than if you were using a brand new system or maybe a more esoteric system. Right. No, that's, um, that's actually a really good point. Cause, um, even like I'm, I'm a brand new GM, right? I only started GMing really recently. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm actually having a lot of fun. Uh, I won't go through all I've already said my stories a couple of times on what I'm currently doing, but I, when I was talking, they're like, go with a system, you know, like when I was talking with Scott and fine, they're like, you know, Savage Worlds really well. So go with that one. So it's kind of what I'm running. And it, I think that's it. That should that applies to designing, to playing, to anything is if you really know something really well, it's best to go with this something, you know, opposed to something you don't. Yes. And we really think and I hope that players and GMs will feel that way when they play this, you know, that this is something that's going to be different enough that you've got a very vibrant concept of this different setting and all these explosions and lasers going off and these strange Venusian beasts and Martian, you know, kind of these zombie like creatures, but that you're going to feel comfortable. And at the end of the day, do still feel like you're playing 5e and you know how your character works and you know what's going to happen when this combat starts. Well, you don't know what's going to happen because it's going to go haywire pretty quick, but you know the general idea of how your abilities and stuff are going to work. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, we touched on this a little bit right at the beginning, but I, I know a lot of people have complaints. The one major complaint I find with 5e is that it holds your hand and it's almost impossible to kill like to get yourself killed and we were talking about some of the old school rpgs kind of trying to imbue them into 5e and so forth if you're an old school fan who doesn't like 5e because you can't die easily 
what do you guys got in store for us? A lot of death. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of extremely messy, uh, catastrophic, totally unexpected and unearned death. Um, I mean, the main thing, and Zach brought it up, is uh, malfunction tables. Uh, and, and really, these are fumble tables, right? Um, these are critical failure tables, uh, which is something that, that used to be in all old school games. It's just kind of seemingly been phased out a bit. Um, and uh, anything, almost anything that you do in this game, you're, you're interacting with technology. And anytime you interact with technology, there is a chance that everything is going to go hay- haywire. Um, and, uh, but the, uh, the extent to which it goes haywire is, is random. Um, it's, it's governed by these tables and each type of technology has a different malfunction table associated with it. So if you are the Dr. G equivalent of, um, of a wizard, which is called a boffin, then, uh, and you're using a piece of equipment called a gadgetronic to cast a spell, and you roll within that piece of equipment's malfunction threshold, which basically is just if you fumble the roll, if you roll a one, then you've got to go roll on the gadgetronic malfunction table to see what exactly happens. And some of them are benign. Every now and then you'll get one that actually comes in handy. <laughs> the most extreme are entirely catastrophic. Um, but, uh, but each piece of tech has their own uh, table. So the... One of the more interesting ones, I think, is the uh, is the druid, uh, or how we've uh, styled the druid, which is um, an anatomy, an, like an anatomy, anatomy anomaly, but an <laughs> anatomy. And these are uh, this character class actually injects into their organs uh, strange substances from the ether in order to cast spells and shapeshift and do so. For them, their malfunction table looks a whole lot different than it would for that wizard. For them, it's their internal system that is malfunctioning because they're injecting uh. it with weird stuff. So, uh, I, I wouldn't say that it's um, it's it's as harsh as maybe some old school systems or even old old D anD D, where you know, for early editions of that game, it was kind of expected that you were you you were going to die at some mm. point. <laughs> and it was like a next man up kind of uh, attitude toward gaming. That has changed a lot now. I mean, it's, I, I think, uh, again, going back to Critical Role and how well-developed those characters are and how attached fans become to those characters and the idea of somebody dying is uh, almost unthinkable. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a great way of playing. I mean, there's uh, it's not a knock on any of that. It's just uh, if players want a bit more chaos, a little less predictable, predictability um then uh this this adaptation of 5e has that and and it's very much in keeping as as grackle said with the source material in which things are blowing up in your face in the characters faces all the time this technology is not um the substances and the technology are not super well tested um it's it's a it's very commercially driven it's quantity over quality let's Let's get a, a ray gun into everybody's hand. Let's get weird gadgets into every household. Um, so the cons- so these things are going are malfunctioning all the time, um, and it also introduces uh, the idea for repairing um, and, and how that having a repair kit, which is a new tool set in the setting, is a really important thing because if you've got a a tank cannon that is 
has not only malfunctioned, but is now op- firing randomly all over the battlefield, having somebody who can run up and, uh, and, and repair it, get it working again is, is a huge key. Um, but I don't know. I mean, this is really more, uh, uh, this is Zach's wheelhouse because, uh, as he said earlier, um, he loves a good character death. And, uh, in the two and a half year campaign that we wrapped up recently, I, I, he must've set a record. I think he had in double digits of characters that died in that campaign. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not, I, I think, sorry, Zach, for hand it off. I mean, it's not a punishing system. It's not, we're not trying to kill characters in it. We're just, um, adding a layer of unpredictability to things like casting magic. You're giving them a murderous option. I mean, given, <laughs> there's just, when you're fiddling with strange substances and weird technology that isn't super well tested, um, there's just a chance it can go wrong. You know, I, that was one thing about ladder additions or really any system whereby when you cast a spell, you just press a button and bink, there goes my spell. No worries. It always, for me, just kind of, it felt off because a lot of the old sci-fi and fantasy fiction I read, um, I love this sense that when you're tapping into these weird substances and weird powers that you don't really understand, things can go south fast. Oh, yeah. And so I think that was why it's fun to to bring some of those elements into this setting because you, you can't just spam your fireball spell and expect nothing to ever happen. There is a chance that something could go wrong um, when you're dealing with these weird gadgets that are channeling these strange substances. No, that's I'm 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 kind of glad for one thing I love tables when it comes to tabletop. I love the fa- I, like one of my uh I like 40k or uh any like those ones where it's like you roll and it's like oh you got bad roll on this table to find out what exactly is going to be cursing your life from now on. I I I love those effects cuz they can put little they can change the game so dramatically sometimes in ways that you just cannot predict. And I think, yeah, I I'm, I'm so happy hearing all the things that you guys are saying. I'm not going to lie. I do not own a single fifth edition book, but I might have to so that it can play your guys's game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you're exactly the kind of person we're hoping would give it a try and, <laughs> You know, uh, because I feel like, you know, it's a gamble. We'll find out. But I, my my thought is that, you know, that, that kind of random tables bring in, right, like you said, that I feel it, it keeps the story in the area of improv and it, um, and it hands over a bit more agency to players at times. And, or it can, it can have that, it can have the, the potential to do that. Um, and, you know, I would, I, I'm, I want to be interested interested to see how 5e players react to that. And I hope it's, you know, a positive reaction where they actually find out that that little bit of chaos or that when they roll a, you know, a, uh, on that random table and it completely, you know, veers their campaign in a different direction, that that's going to be a moment of, you know, joy and excitement, even if it's detrimental to the character. <laughs> you know? I mean, it has that potential for it. It's, um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what we're hoping for. And, um, I think, you know, from playtesting at least, I think we're we're getting there. It's definitely deadly. It's definitely more deadly than uh than a traditional five E campaign. Yeah, I was I've been reminded of the first playtest that I GM'd for this, where we had four players and 
one of them walked away alive with about three hit points. Uh, <laughs> absolutely chaotic battle. I remember distinctly, I have such a clear mental image of her getting down, kind of cornering the bad guy on top of this building. She like shoots down the little Zeppelin that was coming to pick him up. And then she's like, got the shot. She's going to take him out. Raygun explodes in her face, collapses the building around her. And now we've got a completely different final fight environment than we were expecting. <laughs> and it got very stupid, very fast. And it was a ton of fun, I think. But yeah, Zach's character had just gone, you know, hand to hand with some robot and then run across, across the rooftops. It was messy. The malfunction tables really helped us have a silly time. And it was, uh, yeah, if you're looking for deadliness, that definitely delivered that time. Yeah, no, that even just that little blurb right there, like I, I could clip that and put that online. And I think that would probably grab quite a few people's attention. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had it like I wish I had a visual of it because I can see it in my head so clearly of this building collapsing and these robots running around in this crowd. It was it was such a mess and it was just a lot of fun. <laughs> I think there was a series where she crits her like acrobatics check to get to the boss, fumbles her her attack with her ray gun, and then crits onto on the fumble chart for like the most extreme effect. So it was a series of rolls that got us there. And that's the kind. I mean, you know, the dice tell a story, and I think the malfunction tables have a role in that. Of well, a role in that of giving you something just chaotic that's going to change the way you this thing's going and something that everyone's going to roll with. And definitely in that scenario, just had a much more dramatic final fight and basically like a, a second act of the final fight that I was not expecting. <laughs> that, that sounds awesome. So here's a question. Is your game easily to convert to theater of the mind or is it mostly still deal with battle maps like uh, 5e usually does? Uh, I think you guys... I think Graco, you've probably run it more than anybody, and Zach, you've played it more than anybody. So, what would you say? I personally say either way. Um, we've included a few uh, battle maps with the free quick starts themselves to kind of, if that's something you're interested in doing. I think I personally, when I was running that playtest, and I think all the playtests I've run have used uh, battle maps sparingly, mostly focused on theater of the mind. Um, you know, it's 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 easier. It kind of helps that pick up and play. Mm -hmm. It helps you go from you know, zero to firing ray guns around, which I really appreciate. So we've designed it to, it's an interesting thing because we're dealing with ranged weaponry. We've been careful about, you know, the ranges of things, how that's going to affect combat, thinking through how that affects different classes' abilities, you know, down to the feet of, you know, the range of the different ray guns. This one only, you know, has an effective range of this far because it's a pistol. This one is a sniper rifle. So, oh my God, the range on this thing. Um, thinking through that a lot, but also I think it's very open for, the theater of the mind, which I think is really conducive to the kind of the chaotic tone we have going here too. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to highlight what you said at the beginning there. I think it really is adaptable to how you want to play D and D like the stats are there. If you want to pull out the battle map and measure, you know, if, if, you know, the attack is in range to like the exact measurements, um, you can <laughs> do that. But, you know, we've always, and we, I think all three of us always play more in the realm of the theater of mind, and it works like a dream in that case, too. You know, you can take it, you can take that information however you'd like. Yeah, and I think in terms of immersion, one of the big, uh, one of the big assets that, that this game has, <clears throat> has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Greg, and that's the art. Um, I mean, the, the stuff that Greg created when he created this world is is just incredible stuff. I mean, the ray guns are 
well, they're works of art. You can buy them from Weta Workshop. You can actually <laughs> buy a ray gun. They're usually sold out. But um, the monsters, uh, the the different uh, species that he designed, he's he's the guy. He was the lead designer of District Nine. So for those who are fans of that movie, you'll you'll, you'll see some similarities probably between that and uh, the Venusian character designs, for yeah. example. Um, but the the artwork itself is is a big uh, is a big part of of the game and while there's a lot of i mean you can play at theater of the mind or on a battle map i expect that a lot of of dms are going to be turning the whole picking the book up and turning it around and showing the art um as a way of encouraging immersion because it's uh it's just amazing stuff we're we're lucky to be able to draw from that oh, that's awesome i did, i actually didn't know that uh about the district nine i i haven't seen that movie in ages it was actually a pretty good watch i remember there was it was a lot more deep than pe- some people gave it credit for. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It has a lot to say. Um, and uh, Greg was the, I, I think, the lead concept designer for that um, and has been on uh, Chappie and he's done a ton of stuff. Um, but this artwork in particular, uh, we, he just, there's piles of it. I mean, they've had not only the comics and the the kind of catalog of creatures and uh and and weapons and vehicles there's also what they call a hall of gets which are just these amazing portraits of bizarre uh npcs or what we're using as npcs from around the galaxy and uh they've actually had art shows traveling art shows where they've taken all of this art they've created and and uh, had gallery shows around the world um just to to show off the art so we're uh so much of the um, so much of what we're drawing inspiration from is this art. And we're fortunate because we actually get to use the art in the book as well. Oh, that's awesome. So for anyone uh, curious about when this Kickstarter is actually going to get uh, going, when is it going to start? Not that I'm looking for any particular reason of my own. <laughs> so August 23rd is the uh, Kickstarter uh, uh, goes live. Uh, in the next, I think, day or two, the backer kit landing page will be up and running. So um, uh, people can sign up there to be alerted, you know, for when the Kickstarter goes live. Uh, you can actually, it's already, we have a landing page on Kickstarter now that you can go and, you know, opt in for messages about when the uh, when it goes live. Um, which we've got some fun uh, day one and day two backer specials too, uh, or exclusives. Um, that uh, for people who who back on those days, uh, so hopefully um, a lot of people will be interested uh, in in signing up early and and uh, joining us on the Kickstarter. But yeah, August twenty third is the day, and um, book is all but written. Um, we're we're in the kind of editing phase now. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, Exalted Funeral is the publisher, so they uh, exactly when it uh, goes to press and all of that is, is in their hands, but um, Kickstarter live uh, August 23rd. And for those interested, we have uh, four, four different uh, quick starts that are available for free. Um, And uh, it's something like 120 pages of quick start material and not like an unedited word document with basic rules. I mean, there's a full, (laughs) (laughs) there's full, bestiaries and and equipment and uh i think we have what 11 pre-generated characters 
So for anybody who wants to give it a go uh, before backing, uh, there's you can grab those from Exalted Funeral, from my website, uh, crwbr.com. Uh, Dicebreaker uh, put the fourth quick start out a couple weeks ago. Um, so there, there's a lot of material for people to jump in and try it out before the August 23rd date. Yeah, and if anyone right now <clears throat> who's listening... Uh, if you go to the description of our of this uh, episode, you'll see the link to their actual upcoming Kickstarter. So you can click to notify me so that they can you'll stay up to date with all this stuff when it comes out. Uh, just if you're driving while listening to this podcast, please stop or get to your destination first before clicking. <laughs> pull over. Yeah, I, yeah, pull over. I, I can't afford a lawsuit. Immediately. And the flag of the drivers down to tell them about it. <laughs> uh, but we are not liable. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it honestly sounds fantastic. I think I have one more question for you guys uh, before we wrap it up because we're getting about the one hour mark. But it's more of a curiosity about something else. Do you guys have any OSR favorites? Well, one that I really like is a big one, um, is OSE, Old School Essentials. Uh, I, I really like Gavin's uh, system. Yeah. And, uh, and I like the, uh, the, the products that are springing up around it. Um, I think it's, it's attracted a lot of really interesting creators. And I, I wrote a setting for OSE and kickstarted it last year um, because I like the system so much and, and wanted to create something for it. So uh, that won't be revelatory to many people a lot of people already know about OSE but that's one that uh that I really admire and uh, I like the the community around OSE and uh, I think the next game uh that I run will, will be that nice what about you what about you Grackle you got a favorite o- uh OSR I was about to say OSE <laughs> I, I am of the group. I am more of the 5e focused Ooh. person. Um, you know, I, I do mess around and I play in some other spaces, but I am the one who's really, uh, we've got a nice balance on this team, actually, if I am more of the heroic fantasy kind of person. Um, so I, I, it's, while they are doing a little bit more of the absolute blood and guts in the muck kind of thing, <laughs> I am, you know, writing, writing around with a sword and writing wrongs. <laughs> Uh, so I lean towards 5e. I will do a shameless plug for our publisher, Exalted Funeral, and do say that I have my OSE box set coming, though. I kickstarted it. I can't wait for these beautiful boxes. So <laughs> definitely going to be getting into it more shortly. And you always need someone to ring, like, you know, ring in the other people. Like, if me and Scott are on our own for too long, Finder just doesn't know what to do with us. So I 100% <laughs> understand that. You are probably the person who just makes sure everyone's on check. And I appreciate you for who you are. <laughs> At the same time, I am not infrequently the DM that does kill Zach's characters. So, <laughs> you know, we all we all have multitudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not. <laughs> I going to remind you on that one. <laughs> you know, Santa, you sound like the kind of guy who would like, uh, you've, probably, you've probably already heard of it, the Dungeon Crawl Classics or Mutant Crawl Classics. Those are two of my two of my favorite ones and MCC in particular is brutal. Um, and I mean, some of these monsters, some of the monsters in there, you know, they all have their own crit table. And if they roll, you know, like a number of, you know, a few of those different entries, it's like an instant kill for the player. Um, you know, sawed in half things, just utterly chaotic. Um, I ran, I ran a funnel of that once 
couple months ago, and I need to I mean to get back to 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 uh, playing some more MCC, but those those two games yeah, in particular. Yeah, I I, I know DCC. Uh, that's the one where yeah, you start off with multiple characters, and you're just trying to see which one comes out alive, and that's the main yeah. character, right? Yeah, yeah, I played that one. I I haven't heard much from you said mutant crawl classic yeah yeah exactly. it's 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 for the dcc it's essentially the dcc uh, rule system oh, it's a new to. setting and it's uh sci-fi and um you know there's there's no there's no magic there's technology and mutant powers yeah stuff. no i'm gonna have to take a look at that that sounds cool the one this is one thing i love about tabletop is even if i'm surrounded by it through you know this podcast through the friends i have everything like that which ironically all my friends are online when it comes to tabletop it seems like at this point all except for my new group i never run out of rpgs to look up there's always something different something new that always pops up every day and i think that's one thing i love about tabletop more than anything yeah, agreed. I mean, it, it can be overwhelming at times. Uh, I mean, we're coming up to uh, to Zine, Zine Quest, um, which uh, it, it's just everybody's going to be flooded with uh, really cool kind of underground content. And uh, but there's yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of creative people um, making a lot of interesting things and and the wonders of crowdfunding and I guess self publishing and the internet in general have, means that. Everybody has access to it, uh, yeah. which is great. Just it didn't, it wasn't always that way. No, it definitely wasn't. I actually, uh, it, it's funny that you said like, like Zine Quest, because for one, now I know how to properly pronounce it. Uh, and two, I actually picked up my very first one not too long ago. I And it's so cool that people are coming out with, uh, you know, these small RPGs for on like, you know, itch.io and all that. And I'm, again it's just it's so cool and i'm never expecting these kind of things but they just seem to always pop up yeah there's there's no lack uh for creative people in this space and uh i I mean at least what i've found it's it's amazing how many times i'll spot something on exalted funeral uh in particular because they they're so dedicated to kind of lifting up independent creators um pick something up, never heard of it, get it, and I'm blown away. Like, what? This, this is incredible. I love this thing. Um, and uh, there's, you know, just, if, as everybody says, the the only problem is you just finding time to play all these things. But oh, yeah. for, for me, even if I pick up an interesting zine or, or supplement and read it, get inspired, get fun ideas, and never play it, that's not a failure to me. Um, I, that's, that's, that's a great grist for the mill. Um, yeah. I'd uh, see a lot of people sometimes online saying, uh, you know, this sucks. Like I can't play this thing. I've read it. <laughs> I love it. And I feel like, well, you read it. You loved it. That's, that's a hell of a lot right there to take yeah. away from something. Um, just because you can't get it on a table with people, that doesn't mean that uh, you, you haven't, um, that it's somehow a, a failure. No, a hundred percent. Like, as long as you have people who enjoy it like that's all that really matters at the end like I, you see a lot of like i'm you don't see a lot of people but like you hear of a lot of people who are, go into rpgs for kind of the wrong reasons they just think oh i can make a lot of money off this and all that and a creator i know actually said is like 
if you're doing this because you think you're going to strike or rich, stop right now because it, it's hard to get through. But if you truly love what you're doing, you're always going to enjoy your success no matter what it is. And that's part of what's kept me really excited about this project is knowing like if we somehow only ended up printing up three copies of this and the three of us got one each, that would still kind of be a win for me. <laughs> like I wouldn't be too, too upset about that. Yeah. So uh, no. And, and like you said, I mean, it's a really good point. There's so many RPGs out there. And if I could just give some really objective, disinterested advice is just don't think about it too hard. Just kickstart Dr. Gordbort's scientific adventure violence and stick to that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, Greco is is our master plugman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like it. I like it. I suck at plugs, and every time I do it, I always feel like I'm doing a commercial. I just can't get the flow. Oh, I do too. You just got to push right through the shamelessness, uh, which is which is why which is why I'm. You know, I'll take the the thing and plug my babies in this book too. Is that we've got you know dozens of new monsters also in this book. We've got fresh art for you. Uh, different monsters for each planet too. We've got Mars, the Moon, Venus, all with their different styles and tones and uh, and themes. So it's going to be a lot of fun for me when I like get a new book. It's flipping through the monsters. That's kind of my favorite part. So I think people are going to be very happy with what they have uh, in the back of the book there. Oh, yeah, that's and, cool. And to Grackle's point, I mean, just if no matter what this thing ends up doing, the fact that Greg, the creator of this world, is happy with it, and so far he's extremely happy with it is mm -hmm. is a huge thing for us i mean i respect him as a creative person uh, a lot and uh, i love his work and if we deliver something that we had fun making which we have and that he ultimately says you know well done guys then i feel like uh, i'll i'll sleep well at night <laughs> has uh has greg been uh has he been able, has he had his hands on the book as well? Like, you know, actually working with it or is it mostly just been the stamp of approval? No, no, not, not a stamp of approval at all. Um, he's, he's very involved, um, not in the writing, but uh, whenever we get to a kind of crossroads where we need to steer from him, um, for example, with, we had one recently with regard to Mars and Martian technology, there's a whole world lore around Mars and what's happening there. It's a fall into civilization and, we had, we were beginning to take that idea in one direction and we ran it past Greg and he, and he had to kind of redirect us and say, no, 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 Mars is really about this thing. Uh, uh. And so we, you know, incorporate it that way, but we're, we, we check in with him often and uh, to make sure that we're on the right path, because a lot of what we're creating, we're, we're, we're kind of expanding the horizons of Dr. Gordboard. A lot of the stuff in the comics or the catalogs or whatever a lot of the published material makes mentions of things, but doesn't go way beyond that. Whereas we're, you know, creating a, a playable planet. Um, and so he's been very hands-on, uh, very accommodating. He's, he's excited about this project. And as always, you know, he gets back to us within four minutes, usually with very detailed, um, enthusiastic, not only support, but also really useful uh, uh, direction for um, you know, usually we present him with a series of options like we do one of these things and he'll uh, tell us which one feels more Dr. G to him and then provide lots of, of useful uh, feedback try to get it there that sounds awesome like it, it's nice to have someone who's so involved and still loves their work so much that they're that he's helping you out at every turn like that 
it just it just sounds so nice. I know I'm kind of being sappy here, but I don't. Care. No, he he's a dream <laughs> collaborator. Actually, Weta, Stardog, and I mean all of them, that whole team in New Zealand uh, have been unbelievably easy to work with, um, and we've gotten way more from them. I've done a lot of licensed publishing. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you kind of never know what you're going to get with a licensor. And sometimes, as you say, it's just an imprimatur. We just, yeah, just send us, we'll send you our logo, um, stick it on the cover and send us a royalty check. <laughs> and other times you get licensors that are so hands-on that they kind of hinder the creative process. And and uh, Greg is the perfect balance of that, that uh, he, he likes what we're doing, um, but he's available to us whenever we need him to make sure that we're headed in the direction that, ultimately he sees this universe going. That's, that's, that's awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm after we're done this, I'm going to have to ask you for, you said the omnibus. I'm going to have to find that name of it. Cause I might want to check it out a little bit before I get, you know, the, you know, your five E set, setting. So kind of yeah. curious now. I'm... There's another option for you too. Shoot. Um, we, uh, one of our backer tiers includes onslaught that big omnibus uh, oh. book that, that has the comics and, uh, and all of Greg's uh, original uh, work when he created this thing. So you could, at that backer tier, you would get Dr. Gordborch's Scientific Adventure Violence, the role-playing yeah. game supplement, and the kind of canon uh, fiction around it. So um, Titan's been cool. They allowed us to... Uh, to, to do that, to, to offer Onslaught as part of a, uh, a certain backer tier. So you can get it all at once if you want. That's fine. I, I, I do have to plug, just so we understand the tone of what we're dealing with here. The full book title is technically Onslaught, Excessive Space Violence for Girls and Boys. Yes. So this is, <laughs> this is the kind of tone that we're having fun with. Oh, God. Uh, that sounds fantastic. I'm just going to have to try and explain another uh, Kickstarter fun, uh, fun to my wifey. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully she doesn't listen to this episode. Uh, oh, tell her to back it too. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any kids? Get them on it. <laughs> <laughs> no kids on that one and trying to get her on that. That's, uh, uh, I'm just not going to tell her. <laughs> <laughs> well, hurry up on those kids and so get some more customers here. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Well, anyways, folks, um, I think that's all the time we have for today. I'd really like to thank Brian, Zach, and Grackle for joining uh, joining me today. It's been a ton of fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys have concocted with this book. Uh, and for the audience, if you like this episode, please send me an email at rpsmartpeople at gmail.com or send me a tweet on Twitter at rpsmartpeople if you hated it. See you guys next week and have a good uh, good week. Goodbye.